Welcome to The Truth in His Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. Uh, thanks for listening. And this is a, another installment of uh, my series brought to you in part with the support of the fine folks at Innovation Works. Uh, please welcome my next guest, the executive director and founder of Mom Cares, Anna Rodney. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for popping on and uh, and chatting. We have we have some good glasses energy. We got like the same brown going on. For yes. those, this is an audio medium, <laughs> but I'm describing a theater of mind for you fine folks out there listening to this. Um, so if you will, could you start off? Because I gave literally like two bites and I feel like it's a full meal of what your background is. So could you <laughs> introduce yourself and share the mission of Mom Cares and your work overall? Of course. Um, so again, my name is Anna Rodney. I am the founding executive director of Mom Cares. Mom Cares is an organization that supports Black women in particular here in Baltimore City who are navigating a high-risk pregnancy and or a NICU involvement um, after a traumatic birth outcome. Um, we also do a number of workshops and trainings around implicit bias, the Black maternal health crisis, um, and discrimination in medical practices. We have a doula training, a workforce development training, um, and a number of wonderful things. But basically, um, Mom Cares supports Black women around um, birth um, by supporting the different areas of the social determinants of health to make sure that babies come out safely and mamas are just as safe. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that and um, really breaking that down for us. So from I, I think like there's a, a personal note with it and with some of the recent changes uh, here, unfortunately, <laughs> could you speak on the um, impact of your work? Because I think now it is definitely something that is a part of that that larger conversation with uh, the uh, codify. I don't like that word. Codif codification <laughs> of Ver versus Wade. So could you describe that impact of your work and just really why it gravitated towards you to, to get into this this lane, if you will? Of course. So I have been um, a doula for the last 15 years. I fell into it by um, supporting a good friend in college. Um, I know. For those who can't see, I look like I'm 25, um, but I did go to school <laughs> 15 years ago. Um, and I started, I just knew that I loved what was what I did. I loved the feeling of supporting my friend and the baby coming out and all of the emotions. And so I just wanted to make sure that that was part of my life. Um, but it wasn't until 2014 when I got pregnant my, myself. Um, that I really started to see the underbelly of birth work um, and that um, the medical institutions really weren't set up for um, Black women. They weren't set up for multiple identities that are against the status quo. Um, and so I found myself overweight, Black, single, um, underemployed, eventually unemployed in the medical system. And all of those identities um, really added to the stress of my pregnancy when I really should have been focusing on growing this life of this human. Um, and so my son was born, unfortunately, um, at 28 weeks. Uh, normal gestation is 40 weeks. So my son was born at 28 weeks and he was one pound and five ounces. Um, and my initial thought was, okay, well, I'm a doula. People will support me. You know, I've got all these people around me. And the unfortunate reality of that was 
people really didn't know what to do. Um, in the birth world at the time, everybody was focused on, you know, home birth, um, natural birth, no interventions, low interventions. And here I was, emergency C-section, um, multiple morbidities or near-death experiences after the birth. And my son was on morphine in a plastic box fighting for his life. So people just didn't know what to do. Um, and so um, we spent six months in the NICU um, and my son came home finally in June. Um, and from there, I took some time to, to kind of get to know him outside of the specialists and the doctors and the beeping machines and things like that. Um, and then we got to work. Um, I didn't want to go back to work, as most moms can attest. They don't, you don't want to go back to work. You want to find a way to stay with your baby. And so I um, took this, you know, um, I took the this feeling, this opportunity, this experience of mine and all the other um, things that I had kind of collected in my toolbox. I'm a Reiki master, yoga instructor, herbal healer, um, and just kind of pr pushed them all together and was like, what does this make? Um, and so that started our healing circles, which is the first program that ever got funded. It was the first um, thing that really kind of launched us in the into the work that we're doing now, um, which were just spaces for women, mothers to gather, to talk about their birth and focus on their self-care. Um, and then unfortunately, my sister, uh, my older sister who um, can never let me do anything by myself, decided that she was going to get pregnant with her first, her fourth child um, when I was pregnant with my first. Um, and so we had a really, um, that I take it now as a gift that we were able to go through that journey together um, because in her postpartum, she actually lost her life because she was not able to access supports that she needed in the postpartum. And so for me, this is, this is, um, a national issue. This is an issue that everybody is paying attention to now because of Beyonce and Serena and things like that. But for me, it's an intensely personal experience having navigated my own near-death experiences, seeing my son fight for his life, and then losing my sister all around birth. And so um, that moment of losing her was really what drew it, drove it home to me that this wasn't normal. This should not be happening this closely in family units. Um, and it um, caused me to look at and to research the Black maternal health outcomes in this country. Um, and we'll talk about that later, I'm sure. But um, that's really what brought me to this particular part of the work. Thank you. Uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's meaning, meaningful work, important work. And I think work that is related to a, a big section of our community as, as black folks and the larger community of people here and there's just people that is often overlooked and not given those resources and given that that same care um, ironically from people who should be caring and yeah uh yeah. <laughs> um, a whole soapbox right there. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and, and I always take a, a spot of like, hmm, I don't know what to say here other than, yo, do I, do I have to punch somebody? Do, can I do the man thing of like, just <laughs> ugh, light assault, you know, just just right. to make sure people are getting what they need. Um, So with your your because i've read there you you also have a background in, in arts right and yes. you know you, you touched on the the wellness with reiki and, and things of that nature so 
in in your work now, how are you applying? Because you talked about molding all of these things together. Give me, could you give me an example of like how arts works into what your what your work looks like now? Of course. So I, I want to say that the healing arts are an art. Um, so um, that being said, but I don't know how you found it, uh, but I am do have a um, prior life as a spoken word artist here in Baltimore City. Um, and so that storytelling piece, um, when I speak, when I write, always um, seeking to draw a picture um, with my words for my audience. And so I've really been able to pull that skill into my grant writing, into um, our storytelling when we're pitching or writing proposals or speaking with partners. Um, I really have been able to kind of hone that um, gift to make people feel things that they should be feeling that I shouldn't have to elicit from them. It should just be like, Oh, we need to, I feel terrible about this. We need to fix it. But um, I really think that the, my background as an artist has really allowed me to tap into and like an empathy and like really be able to um, spread that with my words and with the way that I communicate Um, again, whether it be in a grant or just one-on-one in a partner meeting. Um, And then also with the healing arts, um, we really try to infuse a holistic, um, a holistic lens to the things that we're offering our families and our mamas. And so um, we do have a self-care Sunday that incorporates yoga. Um, We've had healing circles that talk about herbal, different herbal teas that can help with stress and stress mitigation. Um, We talk, we do meditation, we do breathing exercises. And so um, that type of work is always present and will always be present. Um, through the way that we work with our families and our community. Important work. And yeah, it's, it's something where, you know, I had a conversation It's there are more companies that, um, because we, we have like this, this development of incubators and, and micro companies and so on and micro businesses that are growing out. And I'm seeing more and more and more people who have a, a focus of incorporating mental health and those different things. Cause you, you know, it. you've, you've, you've had a job here in this country and it's like, go, go, go hustle, hustle, hustle. And then you're, you're burned out. And then you bring those elements home. And, um, I think it's, it's a challenge, but when you get to that spot, when you know that you want to do something different and you're just like, whether it's something like, you know, having a child, you're like, yeah, I kind of want to just hang out with the kid right now, actually. Or you're like, I'm doing something that actually enriches and fulfills me and fills my cup. Maybe I want to do this more than going to anybody's office and dealing with, you know, Karen and accounting or what have you. Sorry, Karen. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, Karen. <laughs> or, 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 or Dick and finance. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and, and, I, and I understand that uh, entrepreneurship involves introducing people to an idea and you, you touched on the storytelling element being very important um, in the grant writing and in and, and, and the pitches. And I find that that's a skill that I didn't know I had. It, it was an art to it because, you know, you got to be able to articulate something. You want some money. It's like, give me money. Why should I give you money? Well, because <laughs> I want it because I asked for it. No, you have to tell them why you have to like give them those breadcrumbs. So how how does someone turn from your vantage point how does someone turn an idea that may be great 
it may have some legs to it, but how do they turn it into that reality? Like, is it really based in that storytelling component in the, in the grant? Is it, you're really sitting down and like sketching it out. Like, this is what I think should happen. This is how I want to do it. Is there a Venn diagram? Tell me about like that conception component of it, the background work. Right. So this is kind of like um, my blind spot because I'm the person that just like jumps head first into something. And I'm like, this sucks. I want to fix it. And then I like, um, jump into it and figure it out. And I have scrapes and um, bruises from not having a plan. Um, but I would say for me, the beginning of that plan was you, you see a problem, right? So most, most um, social entrepreneurs, in my opinion, start their business because of a problem or a trauma that they saw or experienced, right? So you see the problem, you identify the need. Um, and then for me, it was going to the people, right? So I was like, I am isolated. I feel like I've gone through this traumatic, scary thing by myself. There's nobody to talk to. What's the fix for that? Inviting other people to talk about it, right? And so that's what, how the healing circle started. You know, I talked to my other friends who are in my friend group who had, um, who had just recently had babies and invited them to come. And we got got messy you know the first one was super awkward and it was like I don't really know what's happening or if these are the right things and but then the second one we had a rake we had I did Reiki and we had someone come and do um acupuncture and there was a massage therapist and so I really think that the process whatever it looks like for an individual really you really have to dedicate yourself to making mistakes and getting messy like there is no perfect path in the in this and I feel like the the more you focus on you got to get it right you got to stick the landing the more you handicap yourself like you have to kind of crave these mistakes you have to crave these opportunities for growth um because what our minds fathom and this might be a little too hokey but like the things that our minds initially fathom for for us and for whatever it is that we are paying attention to pales in comparison to what's actually possible. And so, you know, I'm using my one corner of, of an experience um, to create this program. But there are so many other things and facets that I didn't personally experience that still need to be dealt with, right? And so um, I think wading out into the people, talking to people, human-centered design is a big thing, but like, it's a real thing. It's messy and annoying as hell sometimes because everybody has an opinion, but like, you want to talk to these people and you want, you want to be, you almost want to be wrong, right? You want people to push you and to tell you this works, this doesn't work, this, this is weird here. You need to move it. You don't know the answer to this question, you know? Um, and so, really getting messy, I think, yeah. is the the key to doing this work and starting the work. Yeah, it's it's one one thing that I thought of as you were describing describing it is it made me think of this it was this this quote that I know I've paraphrased. So the original <laughs> essence of it has changed, but well the essence is the same, but the way it was presented is different. Uh basically it's like don't bury your failures. Don't bury them. Have them there as like, this is where you're at. This is where you've progressed. And 
I was I was joking with someone. Uh, I was like, if you subscribe to the podcast, uh, don't go back to the early episodes because I was not great. Uh, <laughs> go back to the last 25. That's where the sweet spot is at. It's always like the last 25. You go back too far. It's like, all right, you were asking that same question. It wasn't it wasn't going well. You weren't getting the answers, bro. Um, now, so often we hear and I, and I I know you've heard this one because we, we both went to the the same the same school so this this is a thing uh it's business not personal mm. uh and I I believe that idea is deprecated because we we just saw it you know like whenever there's something that is of a focus for a given month you know we're going to change our logo to have you know the rainbow represented or API and so on so you're you're trying to have your business aligned with a, a social initiative, like something that's for the people. So inherently it feels like it's personal, at least on the surface, right? Um, but it's, it's truly not, it's, it's about business, obviously. So, and I think, I think I know the answer. So with this notion of if business not personal and that feeling like it's deprecated, could you describe the role of people and specifically empathy in your work? I think it's huge, but I wanna hear from you. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, so, as an entrepreneur, I can admit that there are some times where I'm like, boo, that's not personal. You're not doing the work. The deliverable is not happening. You have to shift. Yeah. Sometimes that's shifting out of the organization and sometimes that's shifting to another portion of the organization, right? So I'm not going to sit here with my Mother Teresa hat on and say that I have not had an interaction with that mindset, right? Um, and... My work is the work of mom cares because it's not just mine anymore, right? So I have staff, I've got volunteers, I've got stakeholders that are interested in this work. Um, and so I, I believe that there becomes, there comes a point where you can start in the space wanting to do this sup supremely altruistic work and like you have your mother Teresa hat on and you want to get it done and it, this is your baby, right? And you can you get to a crossroads where it's like either I become a megalomaniac <laughs> or I release a little bit of my, um, my vision for where this work should go and allow it to drive itself. And I think there's a lot of people that get caught up in that decision, right? So that's number one. Number two, the outcomes in Black maternal health are easily, you can easily point to the fact that these are not issues of access. These are not issues of education or marital status or any of those things. This is a racism issue, a prejudice, bias issue, right? And so the crux of my work, the question of my work is, what if we treated Black women like humans? What if we, you know, what if a woman coming in that's stressed, that has an attitude, that that doesn't want to be there, that's distrustful of the care. What if instead of telling her or labeling, labeling her a problem or angry, we said, well, you know, this has been the history of of this medical of medical treatment, and she already has all of these things in her head, and she might have had a bad day. Like the the benefit of the doubt that other folks get that is very humanizing. What would happen if Black women, Black birthing bodies had the benefit of that, right? Had the benefit of the benefit of the doubt to say, I 
I recognize you as a human. I know that you are doing your best. I know that you're trying to show up in a space that that is of, of the highest potential and you're not perfect, right? What if we could take all of that, all of all of the bias, all of the discrimination, all of the history, all of the all, all of this ugly ugliness, right? And we could throw it away and say, you are pregnant. And you have a right to be scared because this is what it looks like. And we're going to work to help you not be scared. And we're going to give you the best, highest service possible because you deserve it, right? That's the crux of the work. And that is intensely personal. Losing a, you know, a husband coming into the hospital with his wife, giving birth to his child and having to go home without his, without his baby or without his child is intensely personal. A sister having to bury her her sibling after birth is intensely personal, and so I think that um, the the clash is us trying to operationalize something that is inherently per- not just personal but spiritual. Mm-hmm. Like, women are the link between spirit and physical. In yeah. my opinion, not even in my opinion, that's a fact. Like something that did not exist gestates in your body and yeah. then comes out of your body. That's a spiritual act. And so we shouldn't be putting, we should be limiting the amount of um, sanctions and stipulations that we put on that experience. It, it's a thing of like more, more grace. Like the, the closest that I've been from, from my vantage point, I don't have any children, but uh, my partner, she, she was pregnant uh, and uh, she you know, decided that she didn't want to, you know, have a child or have you. And it was, it was kind of like later, you know, it was like later in life. So it's like, no, this is going to be a risky situation. And, you know, w- when she mentioned it to me and spoke to me about it um, and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Whatever is like health oriented, like that's, that's paramount. Cause I was like, I want kind of you around. I don't want like, you know, what the pos- prospect could be because it's, it's a thing. It's a huge, like in, there's a certain amount of grace and it's just like, yo, if something goes wrong, I'm going to like be in trouble. Like, you know, like, you know, I don't know what to do. I'm ill-equipped from this, from my vantage point, providing minimum, almost nothing. Right. (laughs) Whereas for, for her, it's like, this can be, this is scary. This is changing your body. This is all of these, these different things. And I think from the, the vantage point of like healthcare, specifically for black folks, the and, and and women, but specifically for for black folks, because I'm going to really speak for that experience. And I've been very fortunate not to have gone to the hospital too often. Uh, I had a brother who I have a brother actually, and he needed to get a kidney transplant. And I remember they were like kind of talking very weird and talking in jargon and so on. And I was like, nah, I'm going to use this Morgan knowledge real quick. I was like, look, can you put that in terms that everyone in here is going to get, not just you? And the guy got so mad at me because I was like, no, nah, we need to rewind that. Also, can we get a social worker here? Can we start getting some real like like answers and of some course, real right. care? And you have to almost like turn it off. And I think a lot of times people are in spots and they just want whatever the situation, let's say, let's say they're in pain. They want that situation to not be that at that time. So you're consenting to things and you're not really getting that care and that knowledge and that that grace to be like, you know, going back to it, I'm pregnant. This is wild right now. I'm terrified. 
nah, it's normal. I don't do this every day, you know? <laughs> so I, I think that that's left out of the conversation. And I think with some of the work that you, you were describing, having that there on the on the front side of it and on the back side of a pregnancy and being that supporting kind of like entity is big because people don't get that. People don't, don't get it a lot. And I'll also say that, um, especially given our current situation, the history of this country, right? Mm -hmm. Like I was telling this to, to a group of folks I was speaking to the other day. Black people were forcibly brought here, right? We know this. <laughs> and after we were released or freed, every law, everything was set in place for our detriment on purpose because people were not happy that we were now Roman free, right? And so those things permeated into the institutions that are still standing now. They permeated into the, the communities, the access to to fresh foods to good food like soul food comes out of the fact that we don't we didn't have access to fresh good food right and so that has that trauma has made its way through our generations in our bodies but also has turned into different disparities women having issues with fertility having issues with you know fibroids high blood pressure, all of these things, diabetes, all of these things that can influence the health and the outcome of a pregnancy. But these things can be easily drawn back to structures that were put in place to cause Black folk harm, right? And so this whole, like, now I have to, you're, I'm going to tell you what to do with your body um, is is damning even more because we were already dying in birth, yeah, right? Yeah. We were already in showing dis disparities around our ability to carry and, and bring forth life, right? And so now we're in even more danger because if something were to happen, right? I'm, I'm 37, so if I got pregnant at 40, 41, and I'm like, whoa, 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 this is too much, I would have to just manage, and pray that I could make it through my pregnancy. And that's, and that is not just, that's not just my experience. That's the experience of a complete, a whole group of people in this country, yeah. um, which is wild, insane. It, 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 I always, I, I try to make humor out of everything, even though it's like dark stuff a lot of times, because it's like, no, the humor is going to draw the attention on it. It's just like, why am I laughing at this? I might suck. It's like, well, why isn't this a problem that's being addressed? And I kind of joke about it on occasion. Oh, you know, black women don't have feelings. They don't feel anything. You know, they have a highest pain threshold. You know, any painkillers? They don't need that. They just, you know, they're just built for birthing. There's no issues. But even, but even the way that we, we talk about ourselves, mm -hmm. superwoman, black girl magic. And let me be clear. Yes, I am a divine being. If you saw me in person, if you've ever experienced me, one-on-one, -on -one, I am absolutely a divine being. But that does not mean that I am this magical, indestructible being, right? Like, person. I mean, <laughs> I'm a person that has a whole spectrum of emotions and needs and desires. Um, but, you know, it's easier to kind of put that, you know, that smoke screen up, screen up right? Like, I get it done because I have to do it. There's right? an, there's an, and maybe I'm, I'm, 
I, I think I'm articulating right, but I, I think it's this almost an elitism dehumanizing of things. It's like, oh yeah, you're so above this. And it's an aggrandizing things, which feels complimentary, but also is taking you away from, from being human. It's it's very similar. And I've said this recently on a podcast where again, I know nothing. All I can do is just watch, see, and I'm also 37. So we definitely were at Morgan at the same time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I I look at when things are given, you know, quote unquote. I, so Juneteenth has a flag, you know what I mean? It has its own flag and the colors are red, white, and blue, you know? <laughs> and everything I've seen has been Pan African. I was like, did they rebrand freedom? It is kind of one of these things where if you're getting something, it needs that stamp of approval on it. So I wouldn't be surprised in any of these things. Oh, we gave you something. Well, you know, we have to, we, you have to do it the way that we're now providing it for you. That's a problem. It's like people are already doing these things. People are already doing this work. We've been having, you know, babies without you, have you? We've been doing these different things. And I, I think that that's just a conversation that needs to be out there and it needs to be attention to it. So, you know, shout out to you for, for the work. <laughs> you know, that's the only way I can really put it. Um, so I got two more uh, questions uh, before I get to those rapid fire questions. You're not getting away from them. Uh, so... In the last few years, um, so we're, we're talking pandemic to pandemic times, uh, our, our resistance and resilience has been tested, um, such as like um, ex, um, we've experienced re, uh, restrictions, uh, uh, workforce fluctuations, inflation that has impacted our businesses, you know, in addition to everything else around us. Uh, during that time, there's been a fair amount of growth in like black entrepreneurship um, during, the, during the pandemic. Um, there's like that strip in on Howard Street. They're like all black mm -hmm. businesses. I was like, yeah, let's get it. How's you? Shout out. Couple tea. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, vegan juiceology, all of that. Right. Um, could you share one business highlight that you've had over the last year? Um, yeah. So I... We, so recently, just recently, this was just announced, um, have am a recipient of the One Million Black Women Goldman Sachs Impact Grant, um, which is a two-year grant um, that we were awarded. So that's a big deal. Um, yeah. Also, a shout out locally to Be More Invested. I'm a Be More Invested um grant recipient and I actually was awarded that on maternity leave so um that that those those things but I will also say that one of the highlights for me was during the um during the summer when they were you know we were everybody was marching and there were all these um you know, demonstrations around police brutality, which is also a reproductive justice issue, I'll say, because if I can't have a baby and not be fearful that someone's going to shoot them, that's a reproductive issue. Um, but there was a time in which a lot of folks that call themselves allies were really starting to see like, oh shit, this is like, a thing and I really need to do something. Mm -hmm. um, and instead of them, uh, not them, <laughs> instead of some folks um, jumping up and, and going into the savior, you know, trope, um, people asked me what I needed mm. and how to support. Um, and I said money. 
give us money. <laughs> we need money. Cash is Resources, king, I mean. <laughs> you know, period. Um, and I, I felt like that was, you know, I looked at it also, you know, there's a little, there's definitely white guilt in there, but there's mm-hmm. also a desire to kind of um, acknowledge and start to shift from the status quo. And so um, we've, in these last two years, we've, we've had more one-to-one donations than we've ever had in the other portion of our um, business span. So um, I think that is also significant. That's huge. And actually you, you, you doubled it up. It was a little daily double there. You answered both of my last two questions. So also <laughs> shout out, shout out to you. I, I do what I can. I do what I can. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and yeah, I, I definitely kind of get it where, you know, people, you know, talk, tell me all the time, man, I love what you're doing, man. This work is important. I was like, yeah, so, um, you know, I got T-shirts for sale and merch and things like that. Podcast ain't free. Yeah. So, um, so left Find. on red, right? <laughs> so left on red, right? <laughs> That's what it right. is. Um, so now it's time for some rapid fire questions. Um, yeah, I got a lot of them. All right. Uh, so you know how this works. You want to answer this as quickly as possible. Uh, you know, don't, don't get caught in the weed. I'm nervous. Okay. Oh, you're fine. You're fine. Uh, <laughs> One of them, one of them is very one of them's political, so just oh. just letting you know that. Uh, favorite book? Shit, the color purple. Uh, hashtag that describes you best. Hashtag, you better know it. <laughs> nice. Um, favorite color? Purple. Okay. Uh, quickly, what was your first entrepreneurial experience? Um, I used to make my family pay for um, my performances in the bay win- window at my grand- grandparents' house. That's, I dig it. I used to sell candy bars at City College. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yo, I got those like three for two, carrying around a duffel bag. I was like, this is undercutting the school store. I was like, I know. <laughs> Who's going to tell me anything? <laughs> right. Who's going to check me? Uh, in one word, could you describe your experience and your experience partnering with the Innovation Works? Catalytic. Great. And lastly, here's the political one. Uh, you know, as a mom, I'm sure this is part of it. Uh, crunchy or creamy? <laughs> creamy. <laughs> boo, boo. <laughs> Ew, who wants crunchy peanut butter? Yeah. Here's the thing. It's based on a type of jelly that goes with it. That's my opinion. So if I'm getting like strawberry jelly and I'm sure people are going to be turning this podcast off and they hear that I like strawberry jelly, I go crunchy. But if I'm going uh, like grape jelly or non-strawberry, you know, we're talking BIPOC jelly at this point, uh, (laughs) then I'm going creamy. Okay. So I'll say that actually when I was pregnant with my oldest, my craving was strawberry jelly peanut butter with bananas on it. Oh, that's delicious. Yeah, it was delicious. I wouldn't eat it now. It was totally a pregnancy craving. But I will say, given that, that strawberry jelly makes you want to do something extra with it. Mm-hmm. It, it, it Because it, it belongs in a cookie, you know? <laughs> it's just like, this is, this is for a cookie. This doesn't belong in a sandwich, a commoner sandwich. No, no, no. So... <laughs> That's it. That's all the questions I got for you. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. Um, and I want to invite you and encourage you to tell the fine folks where to check your workout, social media website, please. The floor is yours. 
Awesome. So you can find me at and our work at www.momcares.org. If you know a pregnant mama, um, Black mama who needs um, support, you can send them our way to the website and they can sign up um, for some support. Um, we are also on Instagram at um, momcares underscore Baltimore. Um, Twitter is momcares underscore Balt. Uh, Facebook is momcares Baltimore. Um, and if you want to connect with me personally, um, I'm on a social media fast, but my Instagram is pronounced underscore A-H underscore N-A. And um, you can find me on Facebook under the name Anna Temple Rodney. So there you have it, folks. I want to, again, thank Anna Rodney from Mom Cares for coming on to the podcast. And uh, I'm Rob Lee saying that there is community and entrepreneurship in and around Baltimore. You just got to look for it. Howdy. Rob Lee here, your friendly neighborhood podcaster. And I wanted to tap in real quick for two reasons. One, to thank you again for checking out this podcast, subscribing, sharing, all of that good stuff. And two, I wanted to introduce this week's theme. We're uh, working with some local businesses. Um, it's a partnership with myself and Innovation Works. What's Innovation Works, you might be asking? Well, let me tell you. Innovation Works is a Baltimore-based nonprofit with the mission to reduce Baltimore's neighborhood and racial wealth divide by supporting and accompanying leaders of social enterprises working to create sustainable neighborhood economies. Their strategy includes identifying and supporting social entrepreneurs, focusing on neighborhood-based strategies, leveraging social enterprise business models to increase economic activity, and solving critical social challenges in communities by leveraging the lived experiences of those living in and from those communities. So big shout out to the folks over there at Innovation Works. Find out more about them at iwbmore.org.